I am Sheen, a scientist, social entrepreneur, Oxford and Cambridge graduate, and you are listening to Dream Girl, my weekly podcast where I chat to incredible women about their journey, career choices, and generally about being awesome. So hello and welcome back to Dream Girl. I am Sheen, your host, and my guest today is Mehek Bukhari. So Mehek is a 23-year-old law graduate and podcast host of Brown Splain. She makes really cool videos on TikTok and Instagram. She describes herself as having more opinions than she knows what to do with. She has done some incredible work focused on the experiences of ethnic minorities in the UK. And as a second and a half generation British South Asian, she grew up on stories of racism within the UK and the horrors of the partition. She's now on a mission to discuss issues that are often relegated to the cultural and historical sidelines. Hi, Mehek. Welcome for the second time. Thank you so much for actually agreeing to do this again. Everybody, Mehek is doing this for the second time. So, you know, a little <laughs> clap for her. But yeah, how are you today? I'm good. I'm so excited to be here again, just because I feel like it gives me another opportunity to chat to you because the first the first episode was really good. Right. Um, yeah, no, I'm doing good. Weather's not that great this time, um, but we we go through it and Ramadan's next month. No, next week. Next so, week. Not, not even um, next month, next week. <laughs> next week. So yes. looking forward to that, but all good otherwise. Yeah, same. So we were just talking about Ramadan, right? Um, I feel like, I don't know, do you get a lot of questions from people around you about Ramadan, usually? I think, like, I think I've gone past that period where people ask me loads of questions and they're like, oh my God, not even water. I feel like we're, we've got past that point, right? <laughs> okay. Loads of people ask me, like, really cute questions, like, oh my God, like, do you do this? Do you do that? Mm-hmm. Like, does it make you feel spiritual? And it's like so much, I feel like they're nicer questions and they're more people just asking about the culture mm-hmm. and sort of the religious motive behind it and I've also had like loads of my non-Muslims friends like fast while I fast now which is really cute I agree it's, it's like the cutest thing ever I've had the same thing as well like while I was at uni because they're so they don't understand the dedication to like not eating right <laughs> and then they're like I want to try it out and I think it's always really really cute to have people do it with you and then they kind of understand you know the, the sacrifice behind it and why you're doing it but yeah. okay, I, I'm asking you this question because I'm going to copy your answer, basically. But when you are asked, um, you know, what is Ramadan for you and why do you do it? What do you say? A lot of the times I'll kind of just go into the religious background of it. Um, it's kind of like a, a point for us to kind of stop um, and kind of respect the things that we have and take grant like we take for granted on a daily basis. Um, but equally, I just feel like it's a month of just discipline for me and not I feel like discipline is such a such a strong, strong word, word. yeah <laughs> about like stringent discipline and it's more about actually picking up things that you wouldn't do so um so obviously like we're so engulfed in our lives where we're like eating blah 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 but I think when we have something taken away from us it's so important for us to just kind of like focus on things that actually really matter to us mm-hmm. and I feel like with Ramadan I'll always pick up like a new hobby um or like just getting in more in touch with the religion and stuff like that and yeah I just feel like it's for me when people ask me about it I'm just like it's just a month of spirituality it's a month to stop and it's a month to just care about things that you necessarily are maybe too busy for and it kind of just like forces you to do that which is really nice mm, no I totally agree like especially with the whole stopping and taking a minute because I I am so constantly aware that I am fasting and then you you automatically feel a bit more spiritual and then you're a bit more in touch it it, for me it's like a refresh button for the faith you know because throughout the year you forget everything else takes precedence over it and then you're like okay no this is good and then you start doing a bit more for other people as well which I think is great because it's such a big month of like sharing and charity and spending it with people but yeah, obviously it's locked down again this year, but let's see how that goes. <laughs> yeah, I agree. The collective responsibility side of Ramadan is definitely underplayed. Right. Like it's such a, such a beautiful time to be around people. I think, yeah, that's the thing with lockdown. It's been really sad because one of the biggest highlights of Ramadan is like being around the uh-huh. community, uh, being around your friends even. Um, and that makes it really hard for people that necessarily don't have that. So like people like converts mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So it makes you really think. Um, and now that all of us have had to be in that position as well, it really enforces it a bit more. Absolutely. I totally agree. Okay. What's your staple for Sehri at the beginning of the fast and during the day? I'd like to say it's a smoothie bowl. Oh, la la, like, no, come on. <laughs> my favorite thing is like under, do you know, like egg and uh, parata? Of course. Why do we all eat this? This is, <laughs> it's not healthy. It's not nutritious in any way. 
but it's just so good I don't like nothing beats like an oily parata with egg I agree so you know this is something I did not even know before I came to um university and then I, I made friends who this is exactly what they eat all the time and I was like I don't get it well how do you eat like a full-on parata in the morning and then I ate it one time and I was like I'm sold every day <laughs> this is it now. it's so so it's just com- like it's like classic Asian comfort it is There's it is you can't beat it. yeah and it goes down really well you feel happy and you go to bed and it's fine <laughs> but yeah okay so tell me um at the moment what are you doing where are you in life career-wise this is interesting um so I have recently actually quit my job mm-hmm. so I so to give you some background, um, I'm a 23 year old and I had just spent, I came, I sort of graduated around like 2019. Mm-hmm. And then ever since then I was working, I worked in sales, I worked in like legal operations. Um, and just in the last few months, I was like, you know what, I just need to take a break, um, take myself out of this situation. Mm-hmm. And sort of like in the meantime, and alongside when I was doing that before, I kind of like focused on um, TikTok and Instagram mm-hmm. and a podcast. Um, so yeah, it's quite an interesting phase of my career. I've taken a bit of a career risk, um, but I'm also doing things that I really love. So it's, yeah, it's a quite a daunting time, I would say. <laughs> no, but that's so brave, though. I think that's a really good thing to do to actually sit back and you know just not try to get in the race where you're like oh but everyone my age is getting ahead and no just do what you want and know what's important to you so obviously I've stalked you a lot and I've watched all of your TikTok videos Uh, but tell me how did you get started with TikTok it was honestly like a genuine miss like I think it was just it just happened by accident it was one of those when you're like oh TikTok is fun and new oh my god do you know the life cycle of TikTok you're like this is so lame and then you get addicted (laughs) and then you start making videos yeah and that is literally what happened with me. Um, and a lot of the times, like, I would just see a lot. I was on kind of, like, discourse TikTok. Mm-hmm. And there'd be things I'm like, oh, I agree with this. Oh, I don't agree with this. <laughs> and I'd, like, give my two pence. And then everyone's like, oh, I really like that. Mm. And I just kind of, like, went from there. Um, and I kind of, like, started to tap into conversations, specifically things related to, like, South Asian mm-hmm. women, South Asian men, and just, like, the diaspora alongside things to do with the subcontinent as well. But also not simply just that, things like toxic professionalism, mm-hmm. uh, being neurodivergent and so forth but mm-hmm. yeah it, to say I don't know I kind of just started by accident and then the numbers grew and I was like okay oh. I actually really enjoy doing this yeah <laughs> but how, how do you find the whole like content creation thing obviously you do it in very different forms on different platforms but how do you find the whole process it's really tiring mm-hmm. um uh, equal, I think there's definitely the vast majority of it is that it's really fun mm-hmm. and there's like motive at the end of it because it's like okay cool it's about getting a message out it's about starting a conversation as I know that sounds like a bit of a cliche <laughs> but that's like the, the driving factor of it and then there's sort of the downside of how are people going to consume this how do I write this correctly in a way that no one can read something else into mm-hmm. it like it's just that worry of being a content creator in this day and age um and yeah I think like all in all it's very tiring but it's just so worth it in the end like I I really genuinely do love doing it as much as I procrastinate (laughs) yeah no I I totally agree and I think that's the thing right when we are trying to have this very difficult conversation and like just these awkward topics that people don't necessarily want to engage with so you're really trying to say it properly and not really because you feel like it's your responsibility to say it in the right way and you don't want to make it sound in any way wrong so it makes it adds another level of complication to it but okay so I was talking about um, some other people about this recently and you know this whole thing of um, being getting political and doing things that other people will definitely disagree with you on and a lot of people will have strong opinions against what you're saying um, how how do you approach this because obviously clearly both of us are still doing it nobody cares right yeah. you still do it I do it you do it but then these people were saying that oh you know in today's time is it really worth engaging with these things and these topics and I believe that we all exist in a system that only suits a very small group of people and obviously it doesn't suit us. And that's why we are just trying to, you know, correct that. And we're trying to bring awareness. And for me, even if I change one person's opinion, I don't care for me, that's impact. Right. But then um, people were saying that, Oh, you know, like, don't you think that it would be better to actually do things about it rather than talking about it online as a, as an influencer? Where do you stand on that? I obviously, you know, lost my shit a little bit, but I want to hear what you say about this. <laughs> I've had, it's funny because I've actually had a lot of people say the same thing mm. to me, especially when I go to my friends and I'm frustrated about something yeah. someone said. Mind, like, well, you know, you don't, you know, you shouldn't really be entertaining it. But I'm like, I completely agree with you yeah. in the sense, that even if it's 
I think it's so important to engage in these conversations. And I think one thing that a lot of people don't give, like they give social media a lot of heat for mm. is like, oh, you're just talking. You're not doing anything beyond that. But a lot of the times, like talking is very impactful. And obviously we have a responsibility to do more than that as well. But I think we downplay just how much talking and starting conversations and actually putting yourself in the battlefield <laughs> is part of that. And I think like how I cope with it and how I see it as well okay, there's definitely going to always be someone that completely disagrees yeah. disagree with you. And I think that's in line with human nature. Like we're quite, a lot of people are quite defensive by nature and they aren't necessarily going to invite conversations that disagree with what they already know. But I think it's about like chipping away at that mm -hmm. and actually allow, actually contributing to people seeing the bigger picture. And I'm completely open to criticism. Like I'm not going to sit here and say that I have it all figured yeah. out politically and everything and if anything like a lot of the times when people counteract what i'm saying i actually end up learning a lot more or either reaffirming my point or completely disagreeing with my point and i think that's really healthy but obviously if it's just like plain ignorance and it's something like yes you know racism doesn't exist or something like that then i'm like oh, we're not we're not entertaining this yeah. conversation. <laughs> oh my god yeah it's like so for i'll give you an example right so there's the whole hijab ban happening in france at the moment so um i wanted to because i've just recently started youtube and I wanted to have a video about it, you know, talking to a friend where we were going, he, he was going to act as, you know, the, the lay person who doesn't understand why this situation is a problem and just asking questions of like, okay, but how is the government selling this to the people? You know, what, what are their reasons behind this? And then, you know, just having a conversation to raise awareness. And then when we floated this idea with other people, they were like, oh God, no, this is terrible. You're going to get canceled for this. Like you're going to make him look like, you know, he, he's just really anti all of this. It's going to come across really badly. And I don't understand. I feel like it is fine to ask questions and then getting to a conclusion instead of just saying that we should not have these conversations because this might reflect badly on us. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I completely agree. Cause I think there's this, idea on social media that I don't know with cancel culture like I think yeah for, to a certain extent there are certain things that make sense for that sort yeah. of reaction and then like death threats and stuff like never ever endorsing mm -hmm. stuff like that mm -hmm. obviously if someone says something problematic yeah but then I think translated to a point where even innocent questions it's like everyone has to have it figured out and has to know exactly what to say how to say it and I feel like it's very arbitrary because it's like at the end of the day people are learning new things we all come from different environments mm -hmm. some people don't have the opportunity to maybe understand like I mean it's very difficult to understand things from that are happening to other people yeah. where you're so disconnected from it so I do think to a certain extent questions are warranted obviously there's exceptions to that oh. where people are just you know absolutely making their own you know it's the whole idea of like devil's advocate oh like, tell me about it <laughs> completely agree like there should definitely be instances where people are allowed to ask questions mm -hmm. and we can actually learn more about people through those questions mm -hmm. do you know what i mean i absolutely agree like i i hate the devil's advocate culture because i saw <laughs> yeah. a meme about it as well that made me laugh for like a solid five minutes where it was this guy being like okay how much is the devil paying you because i'll pay you three times to stop bothering me <laughs> <laughs> i love that <laughs> I was like, yes, because yeah, that, I, I do, totally agree because, you know, this is something that we've talked about as well before. It's like there is so much more feelings involved for someone else who is experiencing and is a victim to the system yeah. that you're talking about. And you being devil's advocate, you you're so removed from it that it doesn't impact you. But what you're saying can impact the other person. So I totally agree with that, that like that's wrong. But I think asking questions in order to raise awareness and to educate yeah. yourself should not be shamed and should not be, you know, kind of looked at in a very like, oh, what about if, if you get cancelled and stuff? Okay, cool. I'm glad we agree on that. <laughs> okay, so um, obviously, like, some of the videos that you've made are, you know, um, for example, addressing the fact that a lot of people say not everything is about race. So um, what is the kind of response that you get, like the engagement that you get from these videos? Do you get a lot of people agreeing with you or do you also get some people who are like, mm, but... <laughs> I think with, with the responses with those sorts of videos majority of the time it's actually very positive mm -hmm. so it's things like oh my god like you've articulated the thoughts that I've always mm. had and that's kind of like the main aim of my content it, a lot of the time the things that I'm saying are quite simple but it's just about like just verbalizing them um and that's something that's really nice and it's so motivating because it's like yes like this is exactly what mm -hmm. I wanted but equally as you always do you get people that are like no I completely disagree with this mm -hmm. and it's like 
kind of like coming for me as opposed to asking me questions yes. about it because I'd be able to answer questions mm. but if I'm just getting things like oh my god you guys like it's so funny when I made a video explaining why everything is about race to then have people comment and be like why do you make everything about race and it's like <laughs> just watch the video <laughs> you didn't even watch it <laughs> so, yeah, that's aggravating as hell I agree and now you've seen that report that came out right about how the institution in the UK is not racist and I was just like but yeah i i have i'm about 200 pages into that and like oh. i've had to into my pillow regularly i could not read that in one sitting it was like oh my head just oh, oh. Too much. <laughs> like where did they go wrong do you think they just actively tried to cover it up like what what was wrong about it so far from your reading I'm going to be really honest, and this is probably me saying it in the nicest way. Mm. From the very beginning, like I'm talking page like six, mm. there was no gender. Because um, I was ready to kind mm. of read like a balanced argument. I was like, okay, cool, let's get into it. But it just like in the nicest way possible, or pro- probably not, it read like propaganda from the mm. beginning. And it did not in any way, shape or form consider a counter argument. They made like the most ridiculous claims on in like prior to the introduction that were not actually explored later mm-hmm. on down the line. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just, yeah, to be honest, if I'm being like really nice about it, I wouldn't even like submit it as a dissertation. Um, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Ultimate insult. <laughs> Love it. No, but sorry. <laughs> Are you going to make a video about this? Oh, yes, 100%. Oh. That's why I, really, I did not, oh God. I was like, you know what? I want to get um, into this and actually see where things are going wrong. And I'm trying to find research um, that either reaffirms or approves some things. The only thing I did agree with in the report, but they mm-hmm. didn't even go into in that much detail, was the concept of BAME and how, like, essentially putting all ethnic minorities into one little bracket is problematic. Yeah. But they also didn't even go into anything regarding that. Mm-hmm. So um, a lot of stuff to come on that. Oh. <laughs> yeah, like this whole BAME thing, I, I remember reading about it and thinking, it's true it's just so limited and then we are so different in that BAME group we're all different from each other why are we bracketed together like it it makes no sense but yeah very reductive um looking (laughs) forward to that too um but yeah okay so um another thing I wanted to ask is you know you obviously grew up in the UK as a brown South Asian so how how was your experience was there any kind of like confused identities growing up or like trying to fit in what was that like Definitely. I think I had an interesting one because I grew up, so I grew up in a Pakistani family. Mm-hmm. My both parents are Pakistani. My mum was born here. She was born in East London. Mm-hmm. Um, and my dad came here when he was really young. So like, I want to say like 15. Okay. Um, so they came here pretty early. Um, I lived in quite a um, Asian area. So I lived in Walthamstow and there it was quite interesting because it was like, you know, being around the culture. Um, this was like pre-gentrification East London as well. <laughs> so it was, yeah, it was quite a nice environment. Um, few instances of racism. I think my earliest experience of racism were there. Mm. Uh, and then as I got older, we then relocated to Northwest London, uh, which was an entirely different situation because it was very, very white mm. at the time. And it still is, to be honest, like particularly the part of um, Northwest London that I'm from is still very white. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just to kind of categorize that transition of being a South Asian um, within like, you know, one or two days after we had moved into this new house. Mm-hmm one of the neighbors came in and was like, you know, naturally it's going to be really like noisy because you're moving in and there's of like course, moving in. Yeah. And one of the neighbors came to the door, knocked on it. was like, you guys are being really noisy. I suggest you go back to where you came from. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. So, yeah. So that was a quite a horrible experience to kind of That's go through. Terrible. Like, Imagine moving into a new house, new neighborhood, and this is the welcome that you get. Yeah, I remember my parents feeling really like uneasy about it um, at the beginning. But then I think as time went on, like I definitely had a bit of a problem with my identity because I grew up within a white space mm-hmm. um, and it was sort of like having to assimilate without realizing that you're actually assimilating. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I think as time went on and I want to say it was earlier than it was, it was only about three to four years ago where I was like something clicked and it was like you actually really need to stop because there is a lot of internalized racism that mm-hmm. you have not like actually combated and then also surrounding myself around people from similar backgrounds as me 
it just sort of like became more and more natural. And over time, it's actually become a huge part of my identity. So yeah, I'd agree this. It's, it's been a journey and a half. <laughs> yeah, I feel like we all experienced this growing up because there's that awkward teenage phase where you just want to fit in, right? You don't want to be different. And then you just look different, first of all. <laughs> and then you're like, okay, well, at least I'm going to change my behavior to fit in. But then as we grow up, it's the same for me, right? It's a journey of like accepting who you are. Like even with my hair, I used to straighten my hair all the time. And then this is entirely internalized racism right in the brand culture no one likes the curly hair everyone will brush it out of you and then you're just like okay but this is because we have these westernized standards of beauty and we think that this is what's better looking um but yeah it's just it's so interesting because i think like obviously we are so much more interesting like look at you look at me we're so cool right and (laughs) it's all because we're a mix of like different things and we bring so much more to the table And that's the thing, right? I want to make sure that, I mean, make sure, I want to like help the next generation to make them feel more comfortable with who they are growing up because what we go through is not nice and some people don't recover from it. Some people just lose everything in terms of their roots and stuff because they're trying so hard to fit in. So what what do you think, like how do we actually, um, especially now that we have platforms and we have an audience, how do we pass this message along of like, you know, be happy with who you are? I think media representation, especially in the last few years, Mm -hmm. especially things like Instagram and even TikTok, I think they're going to play an instrumental part in how much people are able to kind of question that internalized racism. Because I don't know, like in terms of the South Asian community specifically, I haven't seen this much conversation for a really long time. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of the time it was in like small circles. And I think even like, I want to say like formalized media. So, you know, TV, radio, um, kind of going in through traditional routes. It wasn't like, it was just people that looked like us, but nothing more beyond that. Whereas now it's kind of like you're facing conversations at the grassroots. And I think it's so important for us to have more and more people that are willing to do that and are willing to have conversations and actually own up to the fact that we have also struggled with things like internalized racism. And I really hope that going forward, these sorts of people can actually look at that and reflect and be like, okay, cool. Maybe these are conversations that I need to have with myself and I also think like opening up a stream of conversation so I know this sounds really bizarre but even through like Instagram questions I have people ask me loads of things about you know I feel like I have you know internalized this or I have Mm -hmm. problems with this and then like just having someone to have a conversation with has been really beneficial for them Mm -hmm. Um, and I think there are so many people that are like willing to have that conversation with like the younger generation of South Asians Mm -hmm. no I totally agree and then also you know thinking now that you've mentioned the, the formalized ways and like the older generations like there is this this preconceptions that the elderly people in our generations like they are not open to learning or to having these difficult conversations but what has been your experience of like you know you know how like you have brown aunties who will say random things about like colorism (laughs) or like sexual sexism things and like you're just like okay how, how have you had any experience of trying to have these conversations with them I think the narrative that it's difficult to get through to them is definitely justified in some way, shape or form, because Mm -hmm. they are very, I think it's also playing into that, like, you know, whole idea of like, when you're older, you're more knowledgeable and you're, when you're younger, you don't have, you don't know. Mm. But equally, I've had quite a positive experience where there's been times like in the past, I would chip away at conversations. So things like racism, Mm -hmm. things like sexism and like my extended family. So speaking to like my grandma, speaking Mm -hmm. to like my uncle my aunties and at the beginning the initial impact is always really bad it's always like shut up you don't know what you're talking about why are you talking about this (laughs) exactly but then over time it's sort of really nice because they've actually been able to absorb those conversations and be like, I want to ask questions now. And what was really nice, like um, this was maybe about a year ago, my parents literally said to my face, you have taught us so much. And it was so weird getting that from your parents (laughs) because it was like, what? Like you're saying I taught you. It was just weird. It's like, this is not how it works. But I do think that we are very resistant because there is going to be backlash, Mm -hmm. but I definitely that people that are trying to get through to their parents it's so important for them to just kind of keep going at it and kind of approaching them in a way that it would work and I do feel for people that are trying to have conversations with their parents because like I definitely think we need more mediums that are kind of things that they would listen to so maybe like news outlets in their own languages or Mm -hmm. like just or like mosque um temple conversations Mm -hmm. like lectures stuff like that but yeah it's, it's quite hard to be doing it on your own as a younger person in a South Asian household oh absolutely like can you imagine that I remember like 
like when Indian matchmaking came out, which I know you love as well. Um, so when that thing came out, I remember like my extended family, people were like, oh, you need to watch it. It's really funny. And I tried to have that conversation about, but do you see how problematic it is? And you always get brushed off being like, but this is how things are. <laughs> and, you know, and and as one person, and if you're the youngest of the family as well, trying to convince them is hard. And then when you have things like that on TV, it's not helping, right? It's not really helping the conversation. So I totally agree. But yeah, let's talk about Indian matchmaking. What did you think <laughs> about this? Because everybody kept telling me, watch it. It's really funny. Like, it's really terrible, but like in a bad TV, trash TV kind of way. And I couldn't laugh at anything and I couldn't get through the first episode. I was like, this is just absolutely horrible. But what did you think? Yeah, I think trash TV is like fine, provided it's not problematic. Exactly. Definitely was. And yeah, I made a video about this. I was not happy about it at all. <laughs> Um, I think what was interesting is that I got the same response as well. People were like, oh my God, like this is just the way it is. But I think we're coming to a point where we're going beyond that. Like everyone knows that this is what it is, mm-hmm. but the show indirectly for me endorsed it. Yeah. So there was no questioning it. There was no like, this is wrong. It was just like, yeah, everybody wants a fair girl. And it was like having, oh, you're going to face situations because you're a darker skinned woman or you're a divorced mm-hmm. woman. And that was like, I was like, this could have been the best opportunity for them to question it. But then you kind of see like from consumers point of view people are finding it funny they're not finding it as oh my god like this is how we are and we need to change mm-hmm. it and that was very problematic for me yeah same i i just couldn't understand how people thought it was funny that we are painting ourselves this way to the rest of the world and i was like it might be the reality of things but it's something we're trying to change right right <laughs> it's like I, it just seems like questionable like i feel like people are just eh, complacent about it like it, it's just the way things are and I just hated it every time she would talk about, oh, this girl is very career minded. It will be really hard to find her a husband and things like that. And I was like, are we still saying this? Like, <laughs> Exactly. I think for someone like us from a generation where we're like constantly questioning these things in our circle, it may have been easy for us to be like, okay, this is wrong. This is the way it is. Like, mm. this is not okay. But for, let's say, for example, people that see this as normal, it just is literally reinf- reaffirming to them that this is okay. Now it's on a media outlet like Netflix. It's definitely an okay thing to do. It just... It was wrong on so many levels. Oh my God. Yeah, and I had so many hopes. I was like, oh, finally, you know, something we can relate with. No, no. (laughs) Too relatable. (laughs) Like, too relatable. And then, yeah, but that's the thing, right? With the whole colorism thing. I was like, oh, you know, it's like the older generation. It's like, it's a backwards mentality. We, we've outgrown this. But then I would, I would hear like a friend of mine who I went to school with and he was just saying that he's getting married to this girl. And the first thing he said about her was that she's fair. And I was like, how is this still important? Like I, and that really upset me that, okay, people our age still believe in this and, and it's so BS, right? Like what's the point of having someone with fair skin? And obviously you are on the spectrum of like a bit fairer. Like what's been your yeah. experience of that? So I think in the last few months, I've definitely had to recognize that I have a massive privilege in the South Asian community, like having aunties grab your face and be like, oh my God, she's so fair. And it's like, oh, okay, yeah. cool. I think from a very young age, I recognized that that was wrong. Mm. But I also recognize that as fair South Asians, we have to say something about mm-hmm. it because it's not okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember telling you last time, oh yeah. my God, I had the worst Yeah, please tell us the story again. <laughs> it was so bad. So I like was talking to this guy a few years ago mm-hmm. and like, in every other way he was just really charming um but unfortunately and just to give you guys a bit of like a a kind of background story as well this guy was lse educated Mm so you know i don't think university is an indication of intelligence especially in this circumstance but just to give you like he had a good educational background whatever and he goes to me yeah like we had a really nice like couple of dates and he goes oh you know I just really love that you're like a fair Asian girl because that's all I ever wanted. And I was like, yep, block, block, block. <laughs> no, like, done. <laughs> and literally, it was just the most like, firstly, it, it just felt very wrong. It was like, I, it didn't, it obviously didn't align with anything that I believed in, but also the fact that he saw me as desirable for that factor. And it just felt very, it was very racist. Mm. And I just, I didn't want to be with anyone like that. So yeah, no, it just, it just wasn't fun at all. Also, I like how he thought telling you that he's fetishizing you about for your skin color was going to be a compliment. <laughs> no, not yeah. It was very, honestly, it was really bizarre. And I was, yeah, it was just sad to have some, like, it makes you think that even people who can seem great on the surface still hold these views. Like, I mean, this guy was like, maybe what, like two years older than me. Mm-hmm. That's not that, that no. that's older. That's like, he would be 25 now. And that's just, 
Yeah, it's just ridiculous to know that people within our generation and within our spaces, growing up in the same places, still have these views. Oh, absolutely. And I, I mean, obviously, colorism is in the news these days, right? Because of Megan. So obviously, that, that whole interview happened. I've watched it. I'm pretty sure you've watched it as well. And it's like, emotionally so exhausting right because you're like all of these things we've all heard it a thousand times now and um i just love people's reaction about how shocked they were that you know the royal family who has colonized half of the world <laughs> was a racist you know and you were like is this news but then at the same time you had like south asian people who would be like oh i can't believe they asked what color the kids would be and i'm like but you are also looking for a fair girl for your son <laughs> literally it's it's such a double standard like i saw that as well and i was like this is this is not okay like this exists within our community as well and i completely agree like it's so draining at this point and you just feel for megan and you feel for and i think it's one of those things that you know but even when you hear it you're like wow like this is real and it's it's just horrible it is and people are saying that oh maybe she's lying or like oh look at her boohoo she has a prince and her problem is that you know uh, she has too much money and she doesn't know what to do with it and i was like you know what even if she's lying even if she embellished i don't care she opened this conversation like me and you shouting you know oh colorism is a thing no one is listening but she just had one interview and the whole world is trending now you know about colorism so good for her for using her influence and like bringing attention to this topic but another famous person that we've discussed before as well is priyanka chopra right so she's one of those many bollywood actors who have who have ads about um you know um fair fairness creams and all of that and then they also came out in solidarity with megan and it's so like so hypocritical and you know that's what you were talking about so tell me what what were you saying again about priyanka chopra and the fairness stuff it's interesting because i think i I mentioned to you last time that i did a podcast episode on this um with the bbc asian network so that gave me the opportunity to read her book Mm -hmm. uh and she went into detail about the whole issue with the color, like the lightning creams and kind of like endorsing those. And it's an interesting one because I think with Priyanka Chopra, whilst she definitely is complicit in perpetuating colorism by taking this on, she also did. And I'm not the biggest Priyanka Chopra fan. I'm going to put it out there. I have that money after all. Like I'm not the biggest fan yeah. of Priyanka Chopra. But um, just knowing that she was also like a victim of colorism within the industry and amongst other things that she was a victim of, it's really upsetting and it kind of obviously doesn't excuse her, but it definitely shows that she was not only a perpetrator, but she was also a victim of colorism. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely think that she's definitely apologized for it and that's really important. But at the end of the day, I'm not the one that should be accepting her apology. It should be all the beautiful dark skinned women in the Asian community that like are the ones that need to be taken into considera- consideration whether they want to take that apology or not. Mm-hmm. But I think it's an interesting one because I don't know, it felt like this might be really mean, but for a lot of Bollywood actors and actresses, it was sort of a situation of you were only sorry when you got caught, <laughs> you know? Yeah, so, it's like they, they never come out on their own to apologize about something. It's always when people call them out on something and then they're like, okay, yeah, yeah, sorry. So it's a bit <laughs> like, <laughs> you're like, okay, is, is that really like honest? But that's the thing with Priyanka Chopra. At first, I used to really like her because I thought, okay, she talked about how Bollywood was toxic for her, how they, they didn't accept her. And then she moved to Hollywood. And I was like, okay, she's cool. She's one of those brown person who can carry themselves. And you're like, okay, good representation. But then obviously that went downhill very quickly. And then she had this whole, <laughs> this whole like debacle with Aisha, you know, the, the influencer. And where she just, she was calling Priyanka out on, on the things that she said that was pro-war. And while she's a UNICEF ambassador, and I think she was making very legitimate, like she was asking questions and she just gaslighted her in return, being like, are you done? Are you done, honey? And I was like, oh my God, stop. Oh my God. Are you done venting? Ended up being like, it just backfired so badly. And I think one of the things about this situation that is like the most perplexing is the fact that literally... 20 like a couple minutes before that this question had been raised she was talking about like girls have to support girls and literally when someone had a valid criticism of you this is my point going back to how people get defensive before they actually think about what they're saying mm-hmm. um and then like her turning around and being like are you done venting when aisha had completely relevant and substantial things to say mm-hmm. like you mentioned so it was just very very upsetting the way that she gaslighted her the way that she made her feel bad the way she was like yeah like we have to support each other supporting each other doesn't mean like blindly agreeing with everything that you say yeah exactly and yeah so that's why with her it's always been a bit of a love-hate relationship i haven't read her book how did you find her book to be honest i 
it was interesting at points, but I was very disappointed with the fact that she never mentioned the whole situation with Aisha. I felt like oh, that she was did it. Not at all. She didn't. And I think, if anything, that's been her one of her biggest controversies to date. Yes. She has like the fact that you're not taking any accountability. And I'm very, I'm a firm believer that Priyanka Chopra is a very self-aware person. Mm. So there was definitely a motive leaving that out of the book. Mm. But yeah, I, there was a bit of like a situation where she was kind of alluding to the fact that. Um, I guess like really trivial things that were like, you know, we need to love each other with regards to India and Pakistan, mm-hmm. but it's like that doesn't absolve you of how you treat it. No. What was a fan. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. And and she has made problematic statements before, you know, about the whole um, Pakistan-India relationship. So not addressing it. It's just a bit of a coward way out. So, but, okay. Well, now that we're talking about Priyanka Chopra, you know, we're both Bollywood fans, I think. And so, you know, like last night I decided to watch Job Women just because it, it appeared on Netflix. And it, it's a non-problematic movie. It was okay to watch. And and this is something we've been talking about, right? Like I decided to revisit the old school Bollywood. And these are the things that we grew up with. And it's been very romanticized, you know, like Shah Rukh Khan is like the epitome of beauty, although he isn't. And like, you know, when when now you go back and watch these things, they are so problematic, right? Like Kushka Chotaher, for example, I was like, what? why she basically she basically just kept her hair long and started wearing a sari and suddenly she's very very attractive and it, it, all of these things are so problematic and now i think I, I still like these movies and then it's a conflict where it's like okay but it's so, so nostalgic for me but at the same time it's very problematic do you feel the same way yeah for sure <laughs> i there is so much nostalgia attached to like Bollywood but it's just really sad like in hindsight when you start to see how many problems there are and how many problems still persist I think the problem is that look we those were at times where these things were considered normal that Mm -hmm. still doesn't make okay that still makes them a problem Mm -hmm. but the fact that a lot of these sort of like tropes and a lot of the time the sexism the racism it's still so prevalent even in modern Bollywood Mm -hmm. it's like it's so hard to actually sit down and take yourself away from it and also having to think about like even the songs that we sing like singing things like gori 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 when you were younger, <laughs> that used to be one of my favorite songs i had my name in it oh, and wow. now, i can't sing that that's wrong like it's so fundamentally against everything else i believe in and it's like it is that inner conflict i completely agree it, it's so problematic like the, there was this other song which was like what was it like the beyonce one like you were so fair that even beyonce oh, would be shy or something right she wouldn't complain because she made a video that featured a south indian woman in it oh yeah and it, yeah, and it was like a dark-skinned Indian woman to celebrate skin tone. And then the response from Bollywood was not to endorse that, irrespective of the fact that they're complicit in oh all this. They decided to make a song that said something. Oh, it was just, it was shambolic. <laughs> Their response to Beyonce making something woke about brown people was to completely smash it and flush it down the toilet. <laughs> It was honestly, it was one of those situations where I was like, I'm going to resign my South Asian identity right now. <laughs> I, I'm like, where, where do I give the paperwork? <laughs> like, this is just not okay. I remember how problematic it was. And I think they took it down for a while and then they put it back up. And I was yeah. just like, this is just not okay. And like modern age Bollywood is trying so hard to be westernized. And now yeah. all of the actresses, they all look the same. They're all very fair and very skinny. And they look exactly the same, right? And then they talk about oh, representation in Bollywood. And I was like, mm, that's not really a thing yet, is it? And and again, you know, even with like, not just Bollywood, but like Aladdin, when the movie came out, like even them, then they, they, they cast an actress who was half white. And there are so many Middle Eastern actresses who are absolutely amazing and beautiful. But it's it's just this idea of like not understanding why representation is important and why we should push talent towards that. It's just revolting and yeah. so tiring. Have you watched Aladdin? Yes, I have. I've got a lot of things to say. Oh, please. <laughs> I could write you a thesis about how problematic the original Aladdin and the remake were. You know the bangra that happened at some point in the new Aladdin. I was like, what is this? This is Middle Eastern. Literally, just like, they didn't even try to hide the Orientalism. And I think Aladdin was probably the best example of something like that actually translating. Like, I don't think they realise that South Asian people and Middle Eastern people are very different. When I saw the bangra, I was like, I don't, I don't, it's too too obvious now. 
Honestly, and it's like they got the casting really well with Aladdin. Yeah. But I don't understand why the casting for Jasmine was so wrong. Yeah. Firstly, because number, because Jasmine, even as even though the cartoon is problematic, she was a dark she skinned was character. Dark, exactly. She was dark. <laughs> it didn't make any sense at all. And I love, I love the actress that plays her, but ultimately okay. Naomi Scott was not the best fit at all. No, I agree. I love her, but I just don't think like we're not helping like all the Middle Eastern girls who would look up to you know someone who's playing Jasmine. They can't relate yeah. with her, and then it, it brings back the vicious cycle. But yeah, no. Tell me what what is the most problematic <laughs> thing you think about Aladdin? There's so many, but I'll keep it. I'll keep it sort of like simple. I think one of the biggest things with Aladdin that they didn't get right, even in the second movie at all, is just that whole idea that it plays into the fantasy of South Asia and the Middle East, and they sort of like paint us as backwards, like yeah. I, as you've seen probably in the first one. There's this whole stark comparison between bad characters having like stereotypical sort of Arab features. Mm-hmm compared to like the good character so when you look at you know something a lot of people don't actually know is that aladdin was based on tom cruise and i find that so weird excuse me yeah really yeah he was based on tom cruise and when you actually look at pictures of them you're like okay cool i kind of and like that was the creators came out and, and said this but if you see it like the small nose the like sort of like slightly small it kind of makes jaw, sense yeah compared to like jafar for example who was like, with the crooked nose cool. yeah Mm. and also ideas of like i don't know if you remember with the actual theme song mm-hmm. uh, it's like one of the lines was it's barbaric but hey it's home and they changed <laughs> I don't remember that. Yeah. they had to actually there was so much backlash that they had to change that because it painted oh. us and also i don't know if you saw the concept of them like cutting someone's arm i saw off. that it just yeah into the whole idea that we are barbaric and like our civilization is nothing like the west for example so i think it's it's just very problematic and also in this in the in the latest movie they got accents wrong so they mixed like the iranian accent with like a different like egyptian accent and it's like and and the indian accent as well there was definitely indian accent there i was gonna say i feel like they didn't understand that india is not part of the middle east (laughs) there's just too much india in there and it was so problematic and i watched it as well and i was i was so excited about it coming out because i was like you know finally something brown disney let's see what it's like and will smith was in it you know my hopes was like okay maybe it's gonna be good and then it was just so problematic on so many ways. Like even the little dances that they would do, it, it had like Indian dances in it. And I was just like, this is, did no one do like some sort of Googling about, you know, what is Middle Eastern dance? How does it get passed through all of this? But yeah, no, I absolutely agree. It's been horrible. Were you one of those when you were younger where you were like, which Disney princess are you? And people will force you to be Jasmine. <laughs> Yeah. Do you know? Oh my God. Even like, I feel like the whole idea of like associating yourself with Jasmine, because I loved her as a child, because it is that element of, of course. who would look you the most, even though I don't think I look like Jasmine at all. Yeah. Um, just like the, the closest character mm. that you could get. But, but that never that never leaves you as a brown girl. Like, even when you kind of get older and you're in the dating scene, and then you have like a bunch of white guys being like, ooh, hi, Princess Jasmine. And it's like, this is really cringe. Like, don't do that. And it's very common for brown girls to be called Princess Jasmine. It's just like, you can never detach yourself because it's the only form of representation that we have associated with us. And, you know, brown girls, it's, I mean, brown in itself is a very, like, a- ambiguous term. It takes into consideration so many different women that look very different. Oh yeah, like this, like my friends, uh, so my friend got Disney Plus and then he wanted to share it with all of us. And for my account, he put Princess Jasmine as the logo. And I was like, why did you do that? I was like, I'm going to call you out on this. Why did you do this? First of all, I don't Thank like you. her. Yeah, I, was like, I did not like her. Why is there Jasmine? And then, and then I was like, oh, you know what? I relate more with Moana because she's from an island. I'm from an island. You know, I was like a lot of, uh, we have curly hair. And, you know, I, I always wanted to leave the island behind. I've, I've successfully done so. And I was like, so I relate more. And I feel like now the, the new generations they're lucky because there's a lot more representation in disney now which is great i don't know have you watched soul yes i have i love i know a lot of people had trouble with that movie but i think like it, it was a beautiful movie. i loved it, it. A beautiful movie. also i feel like it was slightly muslim <laughs> <laughs> Wait, which one hit as in the main guy <laughs> no, no just like the concept of like afterlife it's like yeah. a lot of it was like very subtle and i was like oh this is exactly what i picture afterlife to be like and i was like great <laughs> this is what it's going to be like no but just, you know, 
you know the afterlife bit itself it just was really like satisfying to right. watch i don't know what it was i feel like i'd love to die if that's where i was going <laughs> That also that that little like um, path that they were walking on. I was like, oh yeah, look, this is exactly what I imagined it to be like. This is satisfying to see. Yeah, no, I, I really loved it, and I th- I think the message was very very powerful in the sense that you should enjoy the now rather than because I feel like this is something I do as well, constantly thinking what's next, how do I plan for the next thing, and yeah. um, which is why I am so impressed by the fact that you've taken a break and actually really doing what you want and. Yeah, no, that that's t- definitely something. But um, yeah, so what else did I want to talk to you about? So, okay, at the moment, I'm just looking at you and I'm looking at your eyeliner, right? <laughs> oh my God, you're so, <laughs> so I am terrible at it. I can I can get one right and then the other side is just never going to happen. So I'm like, how problematic is it for me to go out with one side eyeliner? But my question for you is more like, okay, so you obviously also wear makeup. I wear makeup. I enjoy it. I think it's art for me. And I'm someone who used to be, you know, be, be the last person in my art class. So I feel like I've succeeded by managing to put makeup on. But have you ever gotten like these remarks of like, oh, this is something I get a lot. It's like, you talk a lot about women empowerment. Why do you feel the need to wear makeup? And it's that thing of like, why can't you just accept what you look like? And this is exhausting, right? Because I put makeup for myself. I like it. I never do it for other people. But do you ever get that? Oh, of course. It's like, (laughs) why do you need to wear it? Blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I don't think people can rationalize the fact that a lot of us just like walking out the house with glittery eyelids. Like we just like doing it. I'm like, do you know what it feels like? Just try it. (laughs) I love the fact that I can look like three different people and it's like changing it all up. You know what I mean? All men have is their trims and their bits. Although some of them look fabulous with makeup on. It's just sort of like, I love the ability that I have to look different. And I don't think necessarily that makeup in itself goes against all your values as like, you know, you know, working on female empowerment. Mm. Of course, like there's a conversation to be had about the fact that women may feel like they need to wear it, mm-hmm. but equally they may just want to wear it. And that's also something that we need to take take on board as well. Um, a lot of people wear makeup because they feel like they're not ready to. So, for example, I have acne. Sometimes I feel the need to cover my skin. And that's not because of other people, but it's just something that makes me feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. And I do it for myself. Like, I'm not I'm not afraid of putting myself out, yeah. out there online. I actually posted a picture of my, my face without makeup and I was so scared. But <laughs> it's worth it at the end of the day. And that in itself is... Um, helping women empower themselves because it's like you know what like it doesn't matter if you wear it but if you want to wear it that's okay too we just too much shaming of women and everything we decide to do it's like also but who asked you like literally who asked you to have an opinion about this Um, and you know we're in 2021 and men are still trying to decide what women should be wearing and what should they should not be wearing but yeah with the makeup it's the same thing with me like i have zero shame in going out with nothing on my face looking very crusty but also there are some times when you know if i have a call or i'm recording i like to have makeup on because i feel more confident i like the way i look with makeup on and i don't think there's anything wrong with that we should not shame women for that and but yeah that that's just one thing but anyway next thing obviously brownsplain so you are the co-host of brownsplain tell us a bit more about brownsplain how did it happen what's the plan with it so brownsplain me and my best friends my best friend of sarah we had been planning to do brownsplain for like three years but we were just so worried to start it up but we kind of like within our own little circle and within our friends Uh we used to have so many conversations because as i said i have quite um quite a really like a nice diversity of like south asian friends so like we've got everyone from everywhere Uh basically and we always used to engage in conversations like rant to each other and we were like you know what it's actually really it would be a really good idea if we could start formalizing these conversations and actually giving people an opportunity to hear things from the perspective of the south asian diaspora because i feel like we've definitely got a lot of different things going on Mm -hmm. but it's just about contributing to that and we also wanted to have a platform that dealt with situations like colorism sexism period shame Mm -hmm. so forth conversations that you wouldn't necessarily always hear or maybe that we need to hear more of Mm -hmm. and just kind of like having a go and just making sure that we do it for people Mm -hmm. and also making sure that it's accessible because I feel like a lot of like discourse and a lot of like conversations are really like packed with academic jargon and it's like quite difficult to kind of like follow on Mm -hmm. and I think it's so important that we needed a platform where because we get guests on all the time as well to just kind of tackle things from the grassroots and actually just start having 
really important and like formalizing important conversations on a podcast. So we just started it off. And I think like where we're going off, we just sort of finished our season. So we kind of finished like around the same time you did, which is really exciting. (laughs) And um, we sort of like have now set out feedback, getting feedback from loads of people about the platform, what they liked, what they didn't like. Mm -hmm. Um, We're going to be taking it forward in the next, like in the coming year, essentially. And we're going to start YouTube as well, which is going to be really exciting. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I just started YouTube and I have to tell you, it's a completely different game. (laughs) (laughs) oh my goodness and um obviously like the the recording and stuff is easy and the editing is not that hard i know i was complaining about it last time it's not that hard um but it like youtube is it's crazy right like with instagram and like even just the audio podcast i understood how it worked a bit and but with youtube it's erratic like you don't know what's going to happen what people like and what will people see and you have to think about so many things you have to think about the thumbnail you have to think about the title about your description box and then about the length of your video and it's just so much to consider but i think i think definitely um video podcast is worth it like i i have one episode out and a lot of people are saying oh you know what's the best thing about it is that i can see people's reactions while they're talking because when you're listening you can't see and obviously we have we have very expressive faces right and it's just it's just fun to actually watch people react to things and it's a bit more engaging i think so that's very exciting um one thing i wanted to ask you about you know it's like you know when we talk about taboo things like um period shame and like even you know um sexual education or even mental health it's it's really hard to bring these conversations up like it's easy for me to film a video about it and post it but that's not the only thing i want to do right i want to be able to have these conversations with people around me and with friends and stuff it's easy but when it comes to like you know just the south asian community have you had any experience of for example bringing up mental health Definitely, because you do, I think a lot of the times, like we live in the internet, as I've mentioned previously, like we live in the internet, so it's so easy to get swept away by the fact that things are changing, things are happening, but then when you actually go to the main, like sort of like where everything's actually happening, so within the community, the reaction is often very different. Mental health, for example, is something that, like I've not had the best reaction with and even when people are like open to the idea of talking about it, taking the steps further, like going to therapy, it's really hard because there's so much we need to unlearn as a community. Uh-huh. We need to kind of frame people to understand that this isn't a demon that possesses you, for example. Um, and it is really hard, but I think the main aim is to just keep on kind of having conversations. But also I think like supplementing these things with research. One thing that really upsets me about like really important areas within the South Asian community is that we just don't have any academic representation yeah. for us. Um, and I feel like so many people would benefit from that in our community to actually see like the facts and the figures um so yeah no it's it's hard but i think we're making progress albeit slowly Mm, yeah i i really appreciate how much work you do behind your videos because it's the same for me and i always think oh it might just be because you know i'm uncultured but i feel like you also do it like there's so much research right in terms of like because you want to make sense and you want to be delivering a very concise um piece of information to people and i think sometimes people don't really appreciate the amount of homework that goes into creating these videos um for example right i've been seeing these videos about like for example there's this girl who made a video where they just talk about um oh you know women are losing their femininity because they're just trying to become like men they're trying to become leaders and they're trying to be confident but women we're all about being uh, you know having empathy and being warm and i think we are losing them anyway and i was just like um i would like to react to these videos and i feel like because they don't do any kind of reading or work to produce these videos and then they have a massive audience of people who are very happy with what they're saying and then I was thinking and someone suggested this as well that maybe you know you should make a reaction videos to these videos where you explain very factually you know what is wrong with what they're saying and how how they could do better with these things but then at the same time then there are two things right firstly you could direct hate to them secondly their audience could then come hate on me and the second one i don't care that much because i am used to people hating on me and not really caring <laughs> but but what would your approach be have you ever done things like this where you reacted to other people's content so 
with TikTok and people that are maybe not as familiar with it, you have this thing called stitches. And a lot okay. of things on TikTok where someone has said something incorrectly, the stitch gives you the opportunity to sort of like oh. counter the argument and have like a bit of bit of a thing going on. But I mean, I've done that quite a bit where there'll be things like comments or there'll be things like videos I disagree with. Mm-hmm. And I agree, like my biggest thing is like, I would never want to be the, re- the reason why someone is getting hate. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of about making sure that everything that I say is in a very, I guess like a considerate manner, but at the same time, when you put opinions out there, you're not entitled to, you're entitled to constructive criticism, but you're not entitled to things like hate. So a lot of the times it'll be from the point of like, will be taking XYZ's opinion and explaining why it's wrong. So it's kind of the way that you wanted to do it. And I think if you do it in a way that it's nice, it's just about, I guess it's just for the purpose of educating people as opposed to just like reacting, Mm -hmm. then it's really, really beneficial. And yeah, I've definitely received a lot of hate where people are like, oh my God, like you're hating on what she's saying. And a lot of the times it's like, I have nothing personally against this person. It's just, I disagree with this point. So I actually had a really interesting conversation with someone on like, um, on TikTok on the comment section today, which was about, um, I don't know if you're very familiar with the whole idea of, you know, South Asian women who um, kind of like really love the fact that when they get called Arab or when they get called Latino. Yes, that's a compliment, yeah. (laughs) And so there was a video about how like those women are the weakest links. But then I was kind of countering in the argument where I was like, arguably, of course, there's an element of like things that we need to question within us, but it's unfair for us to place the blame on people that have had these standards put on them by Arabs or by um, South Asian men in some yeah. regards. And it was sort of like having all these brown boys saying facts, facts, facts in the com- in the comments. But then when I came to that and I said, actually, the onus is on all of us. It's not just on brown women. And I think it's really unfair mm. for us to do that without actually recognizing what we're saying and blaming people it got met with why are you hating on her video and i'm like oh my god i'm just trying I am to be not crazy. hating literally <laughs> i completely agree though yeah, yeah. It, it, it's a bit of like take two minutes to read what i'm saying without jumping at my throat being like don't hate on them because you are clearly making a very very valid point here and but people most of the time that's that's what frustrates me it's like a lot of the brown community they are so quick to just counter what you're doing without having an open brain you know to listen to what you're saying and and that's the thing that's what you were saying you know that when you are having a conversation you either will learn more about what you believe in and you believe in it strongly or you will change your mind and i think that that's very very mature and that's how we should be about everything because you can't be arrogant enough to believe that you're 100 percent right right so you need to have a conversation and either you will you will realize that actually i i am right on what i'm saying or i'm open to change my opinion but going into the conversation with that mindset is a completely different thing right and that's why like these people are like oh she's just being negative on this but oh good good on you for taking on <laughs> the tiktok lab i really hope you do the reaction videos though because i feel like it will be really beneficial for us to sort of see someone unpack them because at the end of the day it's for the wider cause right um and I, i'm acting like i haven't had my video stitched i had i've had people stitch my videos and make very valid points it's like just the ego it's fine okay <laughs> but that's the thing right you it doesn't bother you because you you understand that you might need to change your opinions and you just didn't consider a few things but that's growth and that's learning and we're all here for that right so it's fine like talking about growth and learning you know now that you're an influencer i would say you're definitely an influencer you are on all these platforms um what what's what's been that journey like for you what's been like the highest high and the lowest low Ooh, that's that's actually a very complicated question um <laughs> The highest high Mm. was sort of like when the content was coming to my head straight away and I was like, yes, got this out, got that out, this idea, that idea. And then the low comes when you completely plateau and it's like (laughs) feeling like there's nothing to talk about. And it's just accepting the fact that sometimes there is nothing to talk about. And I think being a content creator, the hardest thing for me, um, some people can do it and that's that's amazing, Mm. but it's sort of like that obligation to kind of get content pumping out ASAP all the time frequent and for me like a lot of people can do it and it's like well thought out but I can't do that because of the research and stuff like that and I just don't want to say I don't want to be putting out content for the sake of it Mm -hmm. but then people obviously don't really like that they're like oh you know we want to see more videos blah 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 and I'm like oh my god I don't want to disappoint so I think the disappointment element of it is really really difficult and that's something that was probably the lowest of lows and also I think the classic answer as well is like 
you know, comparing getting love from people compared to getting hate from people for things that necessarily don't warrant criticism, like your appearance. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's really Or do you get do you get a lot of comments about your appearance as well? Yeah. Okay, <laughs> that's the thing because you know, like my flatmate is a lot bigger than I am. Like he's very very famous, and he was like, oh, I, I bet he was like, let's do a Q and A on his YouTube channel, and then we both asked people to send us questions, and all of the questions I got were about my relationship status and how I looked and everything to do with like you know appearances, and all he got was like, how did you get into medicine? How do you do that? And I was like, what is this? And he was confused he was like why are why are people not asking you about your phd why are people not asking you about and i was like but this is what women get usually like people only care about what you look like or are you in a relationship and he didn't believe that and i was like i'm gonna ask around now that's why i'm asking you like you also get a lot of this isn't it yeah relationship status appearance like it's very surface level conversations it's never like what do you want to do with the platform no why do you care about this problem and blah 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 it's very surface level um it's like where do you buy your clothes from and i obviously like sometimes these are nice questions yeah. to ask like, oh, okay you like my style yeah. but it's like i completely agree with the com- the questions that are asked to men are very different to the questions that are asked to women or i guess like the things that we notice about certain genders as well mm-hmm. um think I've definitely had more conversations and more comments about like the way I talk and just my general presentation compared to some of the men I know in the industry as well um which isn't very fun yeah I love your delivery to be honest the deadpan nature of it all I was like oh I am here for this <laughs> well, but you know the thing is like it's annoying because other people perceive that as me being just a really snobby woman when in reality if a man did the same thing it's like whoa he's so assertive but why? So- yeah <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, it's so annoying because it's like, I see it as a positive thing, but equally other people just, I think it's just one of those things with gender roles where people just don't see that as a good thing. No. And that's the thing. If you were just sat there smiling and saying all of these things, they'll be like, oh, she's just being a girl about it. <laughs> there's no winning. <laughs> there's no winning. <laughs> but yeah. So now what? what's the biggest plan for you? What's the next thing you're looking forward to? YouTube. That's my next plan. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of like working on a, a video currently. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my deadline is hopefully by the end of the month, I'll get it out. <laughs> but I think like I want to start working on YouTube, particularly like an analytical YouTube, which is very much dominated by like white men. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't really even seen that many white women in that space, which is quite interesting. Um, but like talking about things like so actually diving in deep, you know, those sort of like, you know, those uh, uh, gifted burnout children that watch like <laughs> analysis of like different TV shows, like, oh, my God, the deep analysis of like Monsters University yeah. or something like that. Yeah. I kind of take that um, approach, but also kind of gear my conversations, not just on South Asian issues, but definitely focusing on that. So I've got a couple of reviews mm-hmm. um, that are related to kind of arts in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, one video that I'm working on right now is um, the politics behind speaking well. Um, oh, wow. So that will be one conversation. But yeah, YouTube is definitely the next step and season two of Browns Blame. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. This is so cool. I love it. Um, because I think like the politics of speaking well is something that I- I've been thinking a lot about as well. Because I remember someone telling me how the mind was blown that this um, Indian person, when they were trying to explain something, this was all in the science academia world. And they were like, oh, the. the- Sorry, that just went. <laughs> Sorry about that. That's okay. And they were like, "Yeah, they they just really uh, explained this really well." And I was like, "Why were you surprised though? This person has a lot of awards and a lot of titles." And they were like, "Oh, you know what? Thinking about it, I think it's just hearing their Indian accent automatically for me made me think that they're not that intelligent." And I think like that's the problem, right? Like there's accent, and then there's the way of speaking, and like the posh way of speaking is considered immediately that you're intelligent like the british accent people love it they immediately assume that you're smart but i think i think that that's really cool i i'm looking forward to that video (laughs) i have a lot to say about that topic because i think we've definitely seen like friends and families that have been sort of like victim of that whole situation and you know the whole idea of like you're so articulate like to the point where even someone like me who's been brought up here and I guess my accent doesn't even necessarily indicate that I am smart but people do I'm very aware of the fact that people think I'm smarter because of the way I speak Mm. and I think that's problematic I don't know if I mentioned this to you last time but I was going through one of the documents when I got into a new workplace Mm -hmm. and uh, I read like the kind of 
the reasons why they hired me. Mm-hmm. And one of them was um, great for diversity, very articulate. And the fact that articulate was there was very problematic to me because I would not have seen that for a white person. Because there is, like, I just feel like there is this sort of astonishment when someone who looks brown or is not white yeah. has an articulate voice, even though the concept of being articulate and people with accents, people with Indian accents, Nigerian accents are not being seen as articulate. Because all articulate really means is that you speak like people can essentially comprehend what you're saying, yeah. which is for most people. Exactly. It's just really annoying and I, I didn't like it. But even <laughs> even that like good for diversity, how do you feel about that? You know, ticking a box. It's, I just felt tokenized if I'm being completely mm. honest. Um, it just, it is, it's not a nice feeling at all. Cause it just sort of, I think a lot of people use that whole like tick box as like a way to undermine you as well. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like, you're only here because of the diversity quota. Yeah. And it's like, not fun. I think workplaces and a lot of other places need to take it far beyond just like hitting a quota and actually being inclusive yeah absolutely that that's that's the thing with you you think about it and you're like oh you think i got in because of diversity quota but you got lucky that i am so incredible (laughs) that and you could also tick that box for free like and it's just annoying i agree with you and also when when you're just taking in someone because of the color of their skin like for example you and someone else who is white might have very very similar approaches to a problem right because you were brought up in the same country you have the same educational system it doesn't bring in cognitive diversity and i think that's that that's why the companies are missing out when they're thinking about diversity and they're like oh we just need somebody of color or someone who is from from these areas and i was just like oh it's just exhausting but yeah we can talk forever about this (laughs) but but no okay well it's been more than an hour um the time flew by again mehek thank you so much for your time for the second time uh but yeah i am looking forward to your youtube channel and i will be number one fan i will be pushing your youtube and yeah uh looking forward to it and after lockdown we should definitely try and meet up to catch up properly 100 i'm literally like one of your biggest fangirls like i always said this like <laughs> i'm so excited for season two i just like i'm just so excited so thank you for having me on honestly oh, no honestly i feel like we're both fangirls of each other and i love this relationship <laughs> I love it. this is great well thank you mehek <laughs>